Logan. This is Capital City with Capital J. First off, I want to win. That's the bottom line. And if I can put together a morning show that's talented enough and creative enough to be able to do to compete with the fact that a syndicated show can have interviews with the biggest artists and, and uh, can have people on their team that, you know, represent this, that, or the other, or have been on major television shows or whatever the lure of that particular show is. If I'm going to do that, I got to have people who are pretty talented, people who have good chemistry, people who can work together and put together an entertaining show. This is Capital City with Capital J. And we're back. Generic intro style. It's the Capital City Podcast. I'm your main man, Capital J, alongside DL Glass. Indeed. Now, <laughs> <some> messed up. <laughs> I'll track it out. Yeah, we'll fix all that in post. Now, this week, in keeping with our usual theme. We always talk about North Carolina hip-hop. We talk about hip-hop in general. And we like to talk about people who have innovated and contributed to the culture. So over the past few podcasts, I'm sure you've heard me mention several times about uh, 102 Jams and its its influence on North Carolina's hip-hop culture. And overall, across the country, 102 Jams' influence in hip-hop radio. And who better to speak on it than the program director for 30-plus years Wow, of 102 Jams. So he's seen it all. Seen it all. Whew. We have the legendary Brian Douglas on the radio. Hello there. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing real well. Hope you guys are. We are doing great, man. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Good to be here. Yep. We we definitely had to talk to you because we've talked to so many people about um, people who watch North Carolina hip hop grow and hip hop music in general go from something that you know you had to go out of your way to find in a record store to being the the language people communicate with. Yeah, it really did explode, didn't it? It did. It did. Now, back in the day, of course, Brian, we all know about K-Day in Los Angeles. Sure. Listen, that was an AM radio station, and, you know, to most people, that is the original hip-hop radio station. But what a lot of people don't know is that on the FM dial, you didn't get hip-hop all day long. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think, uh, not to jump in on the middle of your breakdown here, but uh, a lot of markets didn't play it at all, except on maybe a Friday or Saturday night mix show. Some didn't even do that. Some of them would play it in the evening, just a little bit. They'd have a rule like one song an hour or even one song every two hours. And some of them, like I say, wouldn't touch it at all. And pretty much nobody was playing it before seven o'clock at night. Right. I remember WBLS in New York used to advertise a no rap work day. Yeah. And this is the station yeah. that, that Marley Marl was on at night. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that's that's how urban radio treated hip hop. Yeah. So, so, Brian, give us a little bit more of um, your days. Tell us how you started in radio 
and tell us what urban and rhythmic radio looked like before the introduction of hip hop as a staple. Well, I actually began doing top 40. I didn't have urban experience until I got to Greensboro and I can touch on that a little bit if, if we get time. But, uh, I was, I was brought in because one of two jams was in a situation that a lot of radio stations in the format, they called it Churban at the time were in Churban stations often had a mixed, uh, air staff, black and white. They had mixed street teams, black and white. They were trying to appeal to hip white kids and hip black kids and, uh, be more street and, uh, have higher rotations on the new, on the big records and that kind of thing, and just have a much hipper presentation. Um, now I will say they often were starting out playing rap pretty much all day, or at least after three o'clock or maybe afternoon. But then once they'd get a footing just a little while in the format, they'd move back to basically keeping that, that music, uh, very low profile outside of nights. And, uh, I was brought in because what was happening to these Germans, they would go up against the legendary urban stations in Detroit, uh, Philadelphia. Let me think Miami, Charlotte, uh, DC, Orlando, really, uh, I thought I'd mention Miami, Miami, the, uh, you know, competitive radio markets. And they would come in and go up against these stations that had ruled their markets for years and years and, uh, and tried to attack them with this hipper presentation and, and faster turnover on the big hits and that kind of thing. And man, it worked. These stations really sailed to the top. Jerry Clifton was the consultant who put all this together. And, uh, what was happening was these stations were doing great, but the turbans decided, uh, uh, but the uh, urban stations didn't sit around and go, oh, well, what can we do? They tightened up their radio stations, too. And so what would happen is a year, year and a half, two years into the format, the urban would start growing back in strength to the point that it was beating the turban. And in the end, a lot of the turbans dropped out and, and, didn't stay in the format and the urban regained and things went back to normal. So jams had not been by any means. I, I wasn't the first program director. It came on, it came in uh, January 1st, 1989. And by the by the middle of 1990, a uh, year and a half later, jams was starting to lose to power 97, which had been the big urban station here historically. And, uh, they decided they were going to try something different because they didn't want to see what had happened in some other places happen here. And I had worked with Jerry Clifton in Daytona beach before that at a station that played more black music than most top forties, but I wouldn't call it a turban. It was, uh, it was, you know, an aggressive top 40, I guess you'd say. And, uh, he brought me in and cap, I don't know whether I've ever told you this before, but, you know, they'd have probably chosen somebody else, except the plan they had at the time was to make jams what they call a white turban, mm -hmm. uh, do a program director thing on you. Uh, they would, white turbans tended to have a uh, larger white audience and smaller black audience, and and uh, black turbans tended to be the opposite. And Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah, more Mariah and all that. And, uh, 
so that was the idea. But when I got here, I started to see some problems with that. Uh, first off, kind of trying to split the audience and be kind of 50-50, which is, it was supposed to be pretty close to 50-50, but lean and white. Uh, you end up with, you can get that mix, but you can't get high ratings because uh, you tend to get just, you know, a mediocre response from everybody. Right. And, and uh, I began to think as time went on that there might be a better way to do this. So I talked to Jerry Clifton about it. I said, what if we did what nobody else is doing and concentrated the station 100% on college age, 18 to 24 year old people, whether they actually were in college or not that age when people are their most, uh, they're most wide open. They're most open to new things. They're experimenting They're You know, it's an exciting time in life to be in the 18 to 24 thing. And I said, you know, I've looked at this market, it has more 18 to 24 year olds than most markets do. And uh, although it also is a market that had lots of people 55 plus, and I, I thought, you know, I think we could dominate 18 to 34, which is a good selling demographic, uh, by winning 1824 alone. And at that point, I don't see Power 97 being able to deal with this because they're too dependent on having 25, 54 year olds in their mix. Right. And uh, Clifton was like, yeah, well, maybe. And, well, that left the problem of program directors don't get to just do this stuff. You've got to convince the owners to let you do it. And so I started talking to the people at Beasley, the company that owned us, and making the case that we could win 1834 by uh, winning 1824. And uh so we started to, uh, I started to really try to push that and push it and push it. And eventually, uh, Brian Beasley, man, so much to his credit, Brian Beasley, uh, agreed that we could do it. And so we set off to make that happen. And we had Jerry Clifton and his promotions people came into town and we brainstormed how to do it. And, uh, we put this thing together. I don't want to bore you guys too much with all this, but we put this thing together where we would have something called the jam machine. And uh, the jam machine was something that, w that we'd play before we play an old school funk record, George Clinton and those kind of things. That was red hot right there for about a year. Yeah. That music got Flash really, light. you remember that? Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. Had to have it yeah. at every party. <laughs> yes. And so, and so we would, we set up this jam machine and we put it on the air. We said, uh, one or two jams, would you hear this? And it, we played jam, oh jam off the Teddy Riley song. And, uh, and when you hear that, it means we're ready to move. Uh, it's time to party. And, and we, and then we'd go jam, oh jam. And we'd go into no parking on the dance floor or atomic dog or one of those records. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was all going cool. And then we did something where a few times we let the jam machine go jam, oh, jam, oh, jam, oh, it kind of like it got stuck. We did that a few times. And then eventually, miracle of miracles, one day the jam machine got stuck completely. And, uh, and it stayed stuck for about a day and a half. And we got a tremendous response from people who thought, you know, they didn't know what had happened, but we got a tremendous response to that. And, and people really, uh, you know, 
you couldn't make a phone call. The, literally, it stopped the phone lines. I mean, it, we had complaints from the police that you couldn't make a 911 call and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it just really focused laser tight the attention on the radio station. I'd hear people talking about us during that time. I was shocked. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Well, I was going to ask a question um, more relating back to when you talked about um, what age group you thought would be most successful to um, the radio station. Like just thinking about the demographics and some of the things that were going on in Greensboro, you know, that kind of predated you coming there, like the lunch counter sit ins and all this other stuff that was going on in Greensboro. So Greensboro was kind of more progressive than other parts of North Carolina during this time. Like how did it how did the community, and it sounded like you were about to um, touch on that. How did the community receive this new radio station, this new kind of ideology, especially with this quote unquote black music during this time? Yeah. Uh, I think one thing I discovered when I got here is uh, the black community uh, is pretty darn hip around here. It's uh, I mean, there was a, a real, real quick awareness of which songs mattered and which I'm, I'm talking, I mean, this is programming, so I'm going to come back to that a lot. That kind of thing was really cool. New records were really well received around here. The audience embraced them, knew what they liked immediately okay. and reacted quickly. It was a very hip market. And that's, that's one of the things that, that encouraged me too. It's uh, I think nothing to disrespect, my city here, I've lived here over 30 years now, right. but I don't think Greensboro in terms of generally overall is, you know, one of the hippest cities in America, but right. that particular audience, the black audience mm-hmm. in Greensboro has always struck me as, man, they're, they're pretty much there, you know? Right. And, uh, so, well, you know, you know a, that also is a diverse group of people, especially with the, all of the colleges and things like that there. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that's that, right. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with it because you know it's a lot of I, great ideas coming in from out of towners and stuff. A lot of those people had yeah. made Greensboro their homes, so a lot of that you know those ideas and stuff like that has kind of set in the tone of Greensboro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about that that's, a lot, Brian, about how Greensboro is just a different place, and the eighteen to twenty four market is so strong because of those colleges. There's so many colleges. And they yes. have such a big influence. Yes, it's, uh, you know, as you said a few minutes ago, the, the sit-in movement happened here, and, you know, you could be anywhere. And, and that's a, mm-hmm. a known event. People, uh, you know, it was, yeah, there were other places where similar things happened, but Greensboro is the one that just, you know, blew it up. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, like I say, I just felt like, the time was right. The music I thought was getting, I'm, you know, I mean, a lot of people would tell you that Big Daddy Kane and the uh, Run DMC and the late '80s type of stuff was the best hip hop, and they they loved that and so forth. But mm-hmm. in terms of really sharp, uh, well put together music with strong commercial appeal, and and uh, I was reading a book, strangely enough, just last night, talking about, you know, when Bad Boy came along and Death Row came along and, mm-hmm. and all this. I mean, a lot was happening. You had uh, you had 
a musical scene that was really starting to smoke and and uh, it just seemed like the time was right and I'll tell you what's scary about doing that is that sometimes music can really be hot in a particular direction and six months later it's over right <laughs> and I'll tell you if that happened we'd have had a problem <laughs> because <laughs> We, I mean, this, the test. <laughs> this wouldn't have been so good. And uh, but as it turned out, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky. Uh, it just it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And, you know, kind of to cut to the mid 90s, we ended up in a situation where men and women, 18 to 24, were really passionate about rap. In other words, hip hop, yes, but rap. By the time Biggie and Snoop and that stuff was going strong, we were seeing we test our music. We we were seeing as strong a scores on these songs from the women as the men. We never counted on that. It used to be if you could get maybe two thirds of the passion on a rap record from women that you did on men, you thought you had set the world on fire. That might be a Salt and Pepper record or later a TLC or something would get that kind of reaction. But the, you know, the harder edge stuff wasn't going to do that. But by the time, you know, credit to Puffy or whoever and modifying Biggie just enough to make it happen, you know, right. uh, however that went down, uh, there came a time where talent and excellent management and great production and good song skills and, and great writing. And the whole thing just came together, you know, starting about the time of flavor in year, it just exploded. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we were there at the right time. Yep. Hey, that was my tenure. I think that was around my, <laughs> that was, yeah, I was just coming around around that time. Oh, that, yeah. That station. It, I, all right, now we talked about the mid-90s. Before we get away from the 80s, tell me this. What songs did you remember in the early... Okay, now, of course, when you talked about how hip-hop was always coming on, on especially the chirping stations, they were they were willing to, to take that risk. But, you know, it was stuff like Young MC, MC Hammer, uh, the yeah. Tone, tone Loke, stuff like that. Yeah, which, yeah that's right. Which ones? <laughs> which ones do you remember playing on jams that you yeah. knew that Turban wasn't touching. That yeah, that's right. The the uh popular stations weren't gonna mess with uh I got here just as Bell Bib DeVoe was breaking and uh I remember we had I think three or four Bell Bib DeVoe songs off the album. We didn't just play the single. I think we had four cuts off that in the highest rotation and the highest turnover on music right away. And I remember Boomin' System from LL Cool J. That was a song that I loved that song. Right. That was, uh, it was a, there were several mixes on that. Cap could tell you more about that, but there were several mixes and we had, we had the right one on. And I remember one night uh, at first, especially I would be working, uh, you know, I'd be working early in the morning to, you know, maybe a, late at night because there was a lot to do. A lot had to be 
in place for this whole thing to work. And I remember I needed to get, my family hadn't moved up here yet. And I had to get to K and W before eight o'clock to get something to eat when they closed the doors. <laughs> where, where'd you, Brian, where'd you come from? Uh, I, I'm, I I'm listening from... to your ear and I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking about everything that's going on around the time. And I'm like, where did this dude come from? Like, I know, I know you didn't, you know, like, where'd you, come from just briefly well, yeah i i had lived except for just a very few weeks i programmed a station in louisiana for literally three weeks and they threw me out but other than that all of my i had lived in florida my whole life okay what part of florida well i grew up very near daytona beach okay and and then lived in tallahassee and uh I was, in fact, I was back in Daytona programming just before I came here. Uh, no, Tallahassee was the last one. And uh, so, you know, just various places in Florida. But uh, Tallahassee had been the last place just before I came up here. Okay, okay. I was just trying to get a little bit of insight on, like, where, where did your ear come from? Like, because it, it says that you're an open-minded person. If you were willing to accept this new type of music and basically change the face of 102 during that time. That's yeah, uh, you know, I would like to say that it was uh, not just, look, here's the bottom line as a program director. Well, first off, I'll say this. Uh, I always really liked programming uh, stations around that 18 to 24 year old age group. It's an exciting group to program to. I'll tell you, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Their tastes change quickly and what they're into. And they're, they're very clear about what they like and don't period. And, uh, and, but I always liked programming to that. And I always tried to have at least an element of that in all the stations I was programming, if it made sense. But when push comes to shove, the bottom line is that as a program director, I was trying to find a way to win. Okay. If we were, if, if Power Daddy 7 came on past us and we were left in the wake, man, I, I'd have had a hard time with that. That, that. that would not have been good. I wanted to win. And so, like I say, the biggest thing was just looking at this and going, you know, I think this could work. I think this original plan we had of this sort of white turban, I don't think we're going to get what we want out of it. We may survive, but I don't think we're going to get what we want. And uh, we had a sister station in Charlotte, in fact, uh, KISS 102 was down there, and uh, it was doing a white turban and had done real well against Power 98. But, you know, as happens, Power 98 came back after a time, and I thought, man, Kiss sounds real good, and I'm not saying we're going to sound any better than that, and they're really having a struggle. And I thought, I need a different angle. And it was somewhere along in there that it just hit me that that could be it. And I'd love to take credit for being, you know, some kind of a cultural uh, force, but, you know, and I'd love that. I mean... But but really, I was looking for a way to win, and it started to get more and more obvious to me that 18 to 24, African-American leading the way was how to get this thing done. And so at that point, it was just how can we make this radio station sound cooler than other radio stations and and uh, just carry lots of attitude and have people on the air who are having fun and are really talented and 
and have great mix shows on and and just you know make this station electric that was that was what i was trying to do you know what that that leads me to to phase two the mix shows now i came to greensboro in 1990 you know i i I listened to 102 and i saw the the competition between 102 and 97 and to me you know, the competition was always there all day long. But really, it got hot during the mix shows at night. Yes. yes. And it turned into K-Nice versus Polo. Yeah. You know, those are those are the warriors that each station put up to do battle in the yeah. East Capital C. <laughs> Capital J. And so as a, as a consumer of the product coming into the market, this is... This is, you know, Brian, if you really want to know who's winning, you know, that battle when it's close like that, it all comes down to your mix show. In Charlotte, I remember that same time period. It came down to the mix shows. Mm -hmm. Power had more, they had more presence. The mix show was stronger and they won the streets with the mix show. And Kiss could could not compete. But here in Greensboro, you had K-Nice and he he and Polo were perfect just just the perfect balance every Friday night, you know? So that's how you got yeah. your job. The mixtape yeah. game. Yeah. Let, I, let me tell you a little bit, though, because <laughs> this guy, uh, Capital J, um, was the mixtape king um, from my area of um, North Carolina, which is the 252. Um, yeah. And um, when, when I found out he was on the radio in Greensboro, like, it just fit so perfect. And now to hear you guys talking about the mixtape, I mean, the mix shows, it, 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 it even brings it more full circle of how he ended up on the radio there. Um, because, yeah. he, like I said, and I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting next to this guy. Like, he used to do these remixes that I remember. I hated cutting grass and I hate to get off subject, but <laughs> I hated cutting grass. But if I put capital J's mixtape in my Walkman, my Sony Walkman, I would cut that acre two times. <laughs> my mom would come out and say, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm out there singing and rapping and everything. Courtesy of capital J. There you go. Well, I was in the right place too. You know, Greensboro is a very electric place to be for for hip hop, and yeah. and I was fortunate enough to <clears throat> on a Friday night, you know, and beyond K Nice and Polo, you had college radio stations, and they all had mix shows. Yeah, so that's right. As soon as I got to Greensboro, the first thing I did was was I got on UNCG's college radio station. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, yeah, K Nice and Polo on the air, and T Love over at AT. And I was on UNCG six watts. <laughs> wow. God, that's so cool. That's so six cool. Watts. Yep. And you, yeah. and you know what's really weird about that, uh, Brian? Yeah. The first half of the show that I was on, we would play a mixtape by Mixmaster D. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Talk about going back. So that's how I got my wow. start in radio. And then I won the 102 Jams DJ contest in 1992. Oh, wow. Right on. No, 93. Yeah. Tommy G won ninety two. I won in nineteen ninety three. Mm. All right, and, and I and I lived with K Nice for a period of time, so I got a chance to see the station when the Mad Hatter yeah. was there, and yeah, um, Jammer and all that. Right, right. I went up to the station and and you know hung out and 
answered the phones while he was on there, you know? So, yeah. so I had been around for a while before you actually met me. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, uh, yeah, you made a good impression right away, Cap, without a doubt. I thought of something that when you said something you said a minute ago, you talked about how, uh, the mix show really ends up being the razor's edge on what makes a difference. Jerry Clifton was no fool, the consultant. And uh, I remember us sitting there talking about some things one time and he goes, he's a very laid back guy. And he goes, the mix show is the time when the radio station pays off on its bullish. <laughs> the idea, the idea being that, we always say we're playing the best music and the new music and all the cool stuff and we have the variety and or whatever. But really, you know, we play a pretty tight group of records over and over. Right. And so the idea was the mix show comes in here and this is when you flex and show what you really can't do. Right. And choosing the right people for that job has been so important. Yes. And that one, whole thing's got to come together. Yep. One on two's been lucky to have, you know, a great group of guys come through there. Yes. And, yeah, uh, I think you're right. <clears throat> I think K Knight said a, Yeah, he set a really good tone back in the day for the mix show. Who who was on before K Nice? Man, K Nice was here when I got here. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can't take any credit for K Nice, man. He was he was he was here. Uh, he's a likable guy, man. As soon as you met him, you know, he's uh, had a great personality. But no, man, I, I think he he might have been the first person I met. I drove up here. I had been in Tallahassee. I was getting ready to move up, and it got really hot at the end of August. It was in the low 100 three days in a row, 103, 104, and 105 or something like that. I mean, really hot, and I had to paint the house, so I was out there doing that. And Friday night, I got in the car and drove up to Greensboro, and I started the next day, September 1st. And uh, so driving in, I was listening to I was listening to uh, K. Nice's mix show. And, uh, as I drove up, I said, wow, this is my radio station now, huh? You know, that's a, that's a heavy feeling. You know, yeah. it's like you, you don't want to mess it up. Yeah, well, we had good times listening. I had a great time working there. Tell me, um, tell me a few of the the biggest changes. Like, for example, when I when I was in school, I learned how to do all my radio stuff on the most old school equipment you you can imagine. Like at UNCG, yeah. they literally were, we were playing the music on turntables, and yeah. and the you know you had to edit tape, real tape. Yeah, and um, of course, all this out the window. But there have been so many other changes. What are the biggest changes that you noticed during this time in the in the hip hop genre? Well, outside of the obvious, that now everybody's format is the way that one hundred and two jams used to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure this is exactly where you were going, but the technical part probably is interesting to at least anybody who was in it. We did have records. Now, we didn't at jams. It was CDs when I got here. And then uh, over time, we began to dub the CDs into a digital library so that you could just bring up the song and punch the key and, and it would play. And uh and and that's the way it is now to the point that it can run automatically if you want to set it and you know if you need to 
go get a Coke or something. You can do that and, and uh, it'll start the next song for you, that kind of thing. So it has become, and as you say, like editing with tape and stuff, that was, that was work. I mean, you've got to move fast to get that done. We used to years ago run contests and you had two and a half minute, three and a half minute record. You had to run a contest during that, get the winner, chop them up because they always say a few things you got to chop out or ask a question two or three times or something. You got to chop that thing up, put splicing tape on it, have it ready to play back by the end of that record. Now you just put that on, you look at that digital layout right there in front of you. Oh, there's where they did that. Chop, punch button, punch button. No, it's done. You're ready. So it's so much easier now. It's so bad. Look at, you could talk about how things change for mixers, man. I mean, there certainly weren't any Serratos back at that point or any of that. I used to bring five crates in every night. Yes. Five crates. Yeah, that was it. Wow. Yeah, I would see that. You guys would be bringing the crates in on Friday night, Saturday night. And and like you say, five crates, it'd be that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, the technical stuff was big, was a big change. And look, you know, not, not to uh, look in radio, major owners has been a huge change. You used to have a bunch of little owners, uh, a bunch of hundreds of people owned radio stations. And now it's down the big stations. The serious stations are mostly owned by a group of maybe five or six companies that mm-hmm. between them own all the significant radio stations. And that's been a big change. That's had a lot of effect on a lot of things. It has. It has major. Radio 1 and Clear Channel just took over everything. Yeah. Yeah, it really set a different tone. There's there's uh, like a, a lot of... A, oh, I, I, I can't be anything but a fan. I, I work for Clear Channel. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're our heart media now, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, radio became less competitive through that time. Uh, there would be... Uh, like, like at that point, we ended up buying Power 97. And, right, uh, I remember that. And so, yeah, and so Power 97 is now 97.1 QMG, <clears throat> and they're not competition anymore. They're the grown-up radio station, and Jam's the younger radio station. And so, you know, it's not a head-on thing anymore. And, and uh, with a lot of the companies, they might use that as an excuse to just cut expenses and that kind of stuff. Well, you don't have to fight anymore. We don't need to promote or market. The air talent doesn't have to be as good. You know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff can happen and, and it has an effect on things. Isn't it crazy how the, the demographic that made one or two, number one, stayed with you and then they made 97 number one. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's if, the same, uh, same you group know, of people. If I, yes. If I could take a minute on that cap, because you couldn't be more right. We got to the point that going back a few years, it's probably five or six or seven at this point, jams became stronger and stronger and stronger in 25, 54 year olds without trying to. And finally we were given uh, QMG problems, 2554. And that was never the idea. Jams was still programming young. QMG was still programming to their group. Now, 
you know, when I say James had to be programmed to 1824 to try to win 18 to 34, that just sort of in there inherently, you sort of see, well, 2534 wasn't into hip hop or else you'd have been just able to get all of it at once. And so at that point, you had maybe a 21 year old or a 20 year old, let's say that we were targeting a college age kid, that person, let's say that's 1992, maybe. Okay, 02, 12, 22, that is 30 years. So that person who would have been 20 years old, perhaps at that time, man, they're 50 years old. Yep, but they're not, but they're not the 50 year old of 30 years ago. No, they aren't. These 50 year so, yeah, they grew up on a steady diet of hip hop. <laughs> that's right. And so with that in mind, QMG ended up at that point, we decided that we'd start mixing in more hip hop on QMG and playing some of the Snoop records and Biggie records and flavoring years and all those kind of things that had been, you know, most urban ACs weren't playing. That's the format QMG is in and, and uh, they still aren't. Most of you them know. don't play that music, but QMG does because this market, that's, you better play it or else they're not going to give you the listening. Well, Brian, you you would think now, considering that so many people were wrong about hip hop back in the late 90s, you know, it's a risk. I don't know. Maybe. And then it turns into the biggest thing ever. And stations that stuck with it turned into the number one stations in their markets. You would think that once that audience turns into a 50, 50 year old, 54 or whatever, you would think that it would be a no brainer to program that music to that audience. But right yeah. now, Urban AC is going through the same reluctance to to jump on the bandwagon that that um Urban and Churban had um they have the same problem with hip hop yeah. that that was going on yeah. in the late in the late eighties. And it's it's yes. unimaginable as to why, you know, why don't why don't you cut the radio on and hear the hip hop music that that's from your youth. You hear all the R and B yeah, all the other stuff. Yeah, that's uh, and just like back then, a lot of things go into why that doesn't happen. You know, somebody's got to buy into you doing that if you want to do it. And as a program director, if you're trying to do that kind of a radio station, you'd have to convince somebody else to let you do it. And you know, I know the feeling. You would you would then have to sit there and sweat it out, hoping that it worked. Right, and <laughs> it's been successful where they've tried it, though. You know, but, yeah, but even yeah. then, it takes a, takes time. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's that's always baffled me. You know, I figured that would be a no brainer. You know, but yeah, I, I have a theory as to why as to why that's the case. A yeah. lot of early well, hip hop wasn't wasn't tracked and charted and, and kept up with the way that it should That's have right. been. So, so we, there are hits that we know were hits because we took a chance to play them in Greensboro, but they weren't national hits. And some programmers have no idea of knowing what songs were major. So when you look back on the top 20 hits of 1989, it's not going to be full of hip-hop hits. Right. But I know there were 25 hip-hop songs that meant the world in 1989. That you right. have to have somebody like me who knows. Right, right, and, right. And before that, that was the fate of those funk records. A lot of them never charted well either. And and uh, anything that's on the edge, you know, they're just going to be, there's going to be resistance from anybody who's separated enough from it that they don't see what's going on. 
Right. And that's, that's owners and managers. And, you know, you think about it from their end for a minute, you've got something and it's a property and it's doing okay. It's profitable. It's, it's doing all right. And somebody comes to you and goes, I've got a great idea. Let's change it completely and do this. And you go, Things worth fifteen million dollars, man. <laughs> so you, you know the, the tragic part about what you just said is that twenty years from now, the music that almost made me stop listening to hip hop is gonna go down in history as the early days of hip hop because yeah. that music is more tracked and the data is there to. To you say know. that, yeah, it sold this many copies and right. it was on the yeah. radio and just number one for this many weeks. Wow. Whereas yeah. Eric B and Rock M, there's no history of the impact that the Pay the Full right. album had on the culture. And it could easily right. be lost. But every right. day, any station that plays old school hip hop should be ashamed of themselves if they don't play any Eric B and Rock M from the first album. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, you know. From a program director's angle, I'll cover for programming for just a minute. You figure out a demographic target that you want to get, and you tell management that you will deliver that. And then whatever that group is, you play their music. So 15 years from now, if you want to make it with adults, uh, African-American adults, you're going to play the stuff that's out right now. Right. That's going to be it because those people will be right in the sales demo at that point. They'll be 2554. They'll be right in the center of it. In other words, if you target a 40 year old, what was their music when they were 25? That's what you're going to play. And you can maybe spell five years on either side of that. And those are the songs you're going to concentrate on. And, uh, you know, there's, there are things you can do as a program director to capitalize on some other music and get other messages out there and the good program directors, the really good ones, figure out ways to do that to make it extra interesting to people who might be a little more fringe as listeners, not right dead in the core demo. And, you know, you want their station to, you know, if it's possible, you want your station to become kind of legendary in terms of what it can do on the effect it has on its listeners. And so those kind of spice things are, they're not the cake, but they're the icing. You know, right. you know, it's funny you brought, like you said, age 25, when you're thinking about a 40-year-old. When I'm programming for 40-year-olds as a DJ, when I'm thinking making them dance, I'm thinking about what were they most fond of when they were 15 or 16. Yeah, that's right. A little bit, put that's a little right. bit more energy into loving that thing. Playing into the yeah. psychological right. part of it. Right, right. right. When you're yeah. 15 or 16, your favorite song means more to you than it did when you were 25. So I'm yes, trying to tap does. into that energy. Right. 25 is when they start to to fall out, you know, uh, they start to, they start to fall away after that. I, I'll hear people say, I used to like 102 jams, uh, you know, back when it played the good stuff. And we talk a little while and I ask them how old they are. And they say, well, I'm 28. Uh, you know, I don't listen as much as I used to. I've heard that a million times. I was hearing that in the early days and I hear it now when you get to be 27, 28, the current stuff doesn't carry it for you so much anymore. You're it's, you know, you wish it was still as good as the current stuff when you were around from your perspective. And that's just, Mm -hmm. that's how it goes. It was that way when I was a kid, it's that way now, you know? Yep. And Brian, so I have two questions for you. The first question is relating to morning radio and syndication. 
Um, yeah. Because 102 Jams, and I'm asking you because you were a program director for so long there, 102 Jams doesn't have a syndicated morning radio show. Right. Why is that? Well, there are a few reasons for that, but one of them is maybe the biggest one. First off, I want to win. That's the bottom line. And if I can put together a morning show that's talented enough and creative enough to be able to to compete with the fact that a syndicated show can have interviews with the biggest artists and and uh, can have people on their team that you know represent this, that, or the other, or have been on major television shows or whatever the lure of that particular show is. If I'm going to do that, I got to have people who are pretty talented, people who have good chemistry, people who can work together and put together an entertaining show. Right. And then if I can do that, then I've got the advantage because when the ice storm comes through two Mondays ago and the trees are falling down and nobody can drive and stuff, uh, uh, the breakfast club is not going to be saying one word about that. Right. Steve Harvey's not going to be talking about it, but we're going to be talking about it. If there were a, you know, a tragic situation that occurred in the, in the market, we can talk about it. If there's a situation in which somebody's rights or, or, uh, or uh, somebody's been wronged horribly or some, or, you know, just something has happened. That's a focus of the community. Those shows don't touch it, right? but we can, we can talk about it. We can be in the middle of it as a, as a day to day thing, as a program director, if we've got a contest on, they can play the contest. It doesn't just start at 10 o'clock in the morning. They can play it. If we've got a hot new record, we don't have to wait for a playlist to come down from New York to tell us which songs to play on the morning show. We can play the stuff we usually play on the radio station. Uh, our personalities are on there talking about the things going on at our radio station. Our personalities are on there talking about the things going on in our community. And we can reflect what's really happening here in such a way that, that uh, the radio station is a unit, not separate parts in other words watching television you might see one thing you might see a movie on that's you know popular with ladies and uh it makes you teary-eyed and then the next thing that might be on would be a comedian who is pushing the limits about as far as possible and uh more guy appeal then there might be a football game on and it's going to be going all over the place and what's on but a radio station is going to do a whole lot better if it can kind of choose uh what it's going to be pick an audience it's going to appeal to and just reach out to them and entertain them and embrace them and you know in, in the best situation the station it kind of feel like a friend the when I've said so, when I've had conversations with a listener and somebody would say something to me along the line of, man, I was driving along and the radio wasn't on. I realized, man, what am I missing? I turned on the radio and, and, and put it on one Oh two. Oh, that's the ultimate compliment. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. that's it. And so you want, you know, it's not that it's really possible to have that going 24, seven, with everybody by any means, But if you can tap into 10% of that or 5% of that, it makes a big difference. So that radio station's got to represent something. It's got to have something going on so that when you turn it on, you don't turn on 102 Jams and hear a gospel record. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You don't uh, turn it on and hear Tony Terry when I'm with you or any of that kind of stuff because right. you'd be like, what the heck? It might be that it would flow beautifully after some other record or it was used as a sample on something. But no, we can't play Tony Terry on 102 Jams. We're not going to play Luther Vandross. It's going to be a radio station that's going to have a uh, a defined, uh, one way, a great program director called it Predictable Unpredictability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just off the wall to, enough to stay interesting, but it fits what you would what you know that radio station's about. And so, if that morning show back to that, if that morning show sounds like it's a completely different thing, the music's different. They're talking about stuff going on in New York, or maybe the show's coming from Indiana, and they're talking about the Pacers all the time or something. Right. That's that's not a unit. That's something way over there, completely separate. And so it doesn't mean it can't work, but it can't work as well as having a local show that really feels like the radio station and has the kind of quality that compete with a it can compete with a syndicated show. And you know, I'm so a that's fan, the answer to that. I'm a fan of the morning show, and whenever I can be lucky enough to be in a spot where I can get it, um, where I live, and I live in Raleigh. I don't even live in Durham, so Raleigh's a wow. little bit further away from um, yeah. Greensboro. But I was working in Chapel Hill for a while, so when I get on the I-40 headed to Chapel yeah. Hill from Raleigh, I can pick it up. And yeah. exactly what you were talking about, about making it, localizing it, and making it more relevant to my everyday life is something, because I found myself calling into the radio show and having a good time with B-Dot, and they were just talking about regular stuff, and I know yeah. I can't get through on, let's say, the Breakfast Club that's aired on the more popular station here in Raleigh. And that yeah. brings me to just to kind of piggyback off of the syndication because I was quite disappointed um, when I moved. I came back to North Carolina in 2015 and I moved away in 2004. So there was quite a bit of transition and influx of population um, in this RDU area when I came back to yeah. North Carolina. And then when yeah. I started back listening to the radio, I realized that from, I think, um, seven or maybe, maybe, I think the 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 afternoon show ends at five maybe, but five to eleven, there's no local DJ on the radio here in, in Raleigh. Mm-mm. It's a wow. syndicated show out of Atlanta, and I'm yelling because I want to stress this: there is no local DJ on the radio from five to eleven in Raleigh. It's a syndicated show from Atlanta. So if there's a wow. bad car accident on I-40 in Raleigh, I have to wait until they finally go to a traffic break before I find out about it because the person in Atlanta does not know what's going on in Raleigh, and I just could not believe that. So I commend 102 for still having that local unsyndicated and you know i i i hope one day that their show will be syndicated because i think north carolina deserves to be on the map just like new york does whether yeah. you know is with that um the morning show or you know some other show but i sure. i just commend 102 for keeping that part of the radio station there and i always wondered like how is it that they still have this local morning show when everybody else has gone syndication they didn't yeah. have the talent they didn't have, didn't the, have talent. the talent to compete. And well, okay. well, let me take a minute on that, if you don't mind. Sure. And whether this makes the final cut is cool on your end. But 
We don't edit anything. James, yeah, James <laughs> did something, uh, and we worked into this over time. When I came here, we didn't necessarily have everything we needed on the air to make the station talent-wise exactly what it needed to be. So some change took place over over time. We ended up with Jammer and Mad Hatter, Trey Black, who went to L.A., Bushman, who went to Detroit, uh, Hatter and and Jammer both went to Houston at different radio stations and competed against each other. Jam and Mike Fox went to Chicago. I mean, we put together a team there. Right. We, Congratulations. We were, All those we people you just named went on to other parts of the country. Oh, that's not the end of the list, though. I, I know. <laughs> there were more. Yeah, there were more. There were, you know what I mean? I was, yes, there were. I mean, well, these guys... No, thank you. That that's that's right. Well, what we did over time was the negative on that stuff is that those guys were really good, and they came here and they put the pedal down, and and they they grew, and in a year, year and a half, they were out, and it was very difficult to keep finding good people, and so I started trying from the beginning. I was really trying to bring in people that we could develop. And people that could become the next, when you're working around talent at that level, you just see them and it rubs off on you. It makes a difference in what you do. And even as a young person who's inexperienced in the business, you start getting better and better at doing what you do faster. And so we started working on that and we got to the point that for a number of years now, a bunch of years, just about everybody on the radio station started here. Uh, you mentioned B dot Roxy drank. They all started here doing interns are almost all of them. Doc drank was a volunteer person instead of an intern, but, but remember, those guys, you know, all, you know something about drink. You yeah. remember when we used to do the Mr. Jones contest on the morning show? Yeah. He won the Mr. Jones contest. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yep. He's funny, and you, man. And the, the, the funny thing about that is the runner up is, um, Psycho, um, a friend of ours from Tarboro, uh, Doctor yeah. J Marcel. Doctor J Marcel yeah. was the runner-up, and Osama been drinking was the winner. Wow! Uh, How cool! Tell us what's the Mr. Jones contest? Oh, uh, Mr. Jones contest was a, a a contest for whoever thought they were the funniest at cracking jokes on people's mother or whatever, you know. <laughs> so they just came in and went in on each other, right. cracking jokes yeah. on each other back and forth, and the crowd had to choose a winner, and drinking yeah. beat out. Jay Marcel. Oh, wow. And Jay Marcel is a comedian now as well, Brian. <laughs> God, I got to tell you, man, Drake's funny. It's, he he comes off like he's not giving it the slightest effort, and he's funny. It's just, he just is, you know. We got that whole lineup, man. Uh, Marky Mark, Fat G's, Big Mo. They all came here as interns. Hey, Wally, and, too. I remember when Wally was in the Yes, intern. yes. And so Show we smooth. ended up in a... So yeah. that's just one more. He's on the news down here now, Brian. I see him every day doing the sports. That's so cool. Uh, what's his name? Can't think of the BET guy who, who uh, oh, what's his name? He oh, T- uh, Terrence J. Terrence J. Was, yes. came, yeah. was 102. That, matter of fact, right. he first started on my show. He was hosting yeah. hosting my mix show. That was his first gig. Wow. Yeah. There yeah. were there, these guys. uh we started getting to the point that basically, uh, you know, it was like uh, everybody was passing it on, I guess is one way to put it. And, and uh, 
and the team just kind of perpetuated itself. It started becoming more and more difficult to get an internship at the station, more competitive. Well, that's great for us because that meant we could be more and more choosy with which people we made interns, people we saw the greatest potential with or people who showed the most, uh, you know, get it done attitude in terms of, of uh, being sharp and focused and, you know, not, I don't feel like coming in today, not that type of thing, but the people who wanted to do it, you know, yeah. hell or high water. Showdown, and, chaos. Uh, yes, yes. And so, so that was it, you know, we got, we got really good people in every position after a while. And then it got to where we weren't bringing anybody from outside in anymore. We didn't need to, there was always somebody here that, you know, I'd run a contest. Uh, basically we, you put ads in trade papers to try to find talent from outside. And I'd listen to everybody applying. And I would think, man, I got a guy or a lady here doing, doing, uh, weekend work, uh, they worked up from an internship to part-time on the weekend and they're better than anybody sending me tapes. Mm -hmm. So then it, you know, after a while I looked back and said, how long has it been since we brought somebody in from outside? We just, there wasn't a need. You, you bring people in from outside. They've learned what they've learned. You guys talked about a world of syndicated jocks, a world of not having somebody on at night. And, uh, at a lot of radio stations, in, in that kind of a world, you've got people who believe, for instance, the, uh, to kind of describe the way it goes right now, you've got a lot of people who've been brought up to believe that social media is all that matters. Right. If they've got a lot of followers and they can write a clever little caption on something or share a funny meme or something, uh, that's it. Well, wait a minute. How does that transfer to being entertaining on the radio? Right. Well, maybe it does. But most of the time it doesn't because that's a separate skill. It's not the same thing. And there's no video. We're an audio thing. And you've got to entertain with just what you say and just as important with how you say it. That's yep. what makes it cut through on the radio. <laughs> and, and and not everybody can do that. And just because you, you can have 100,000 followers, that doesn't mean you could do that. And so you've got people who as the whole business has gone more and more in that direction, they've come to believe not, hey, you know what? We can probably increase uh, the number of listeners to the station by essentially using social media as advertising. If people hear how popular our night talent is on social media, if they know that person's name and they hear that person's regularly saying, I'm on 102 Jams, then maybe we can attract more listeners. That would be valid. But if it becomes this person's popular on social media, they've never done radio, but let's put them on because they're popular on social media. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Yeah, good you luck. Know, you know, the other common denominator with all those people is, of course, they had talent coming in. But, you know, I've told I've told DL and anybody else that I've worked with as far as any type of announcing work that, that you're you're a really good coach at that. And. I remember one of the early meetings we had um, at the station. And, you know, I, I really pay attention to a lot of stuff. I know sometimes you may have thought I wasn't paying attention, but I was paying attention. I did not think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was paying attention to everything. I'm, I always am, and and I coach basketball right now. And, you know, I pay attention to the way that people manage teams, you know. I always have. And you had a team. And I remember one day we had a, a meeting 
And I remember you were telling us about um, it was during the turkey. We, we were having a giveaway during Thanksgiving. And right. it was about just sticking to one topic per break. That's something, you know, I paid attention to that because, you know, I'm like, hey, if Brian's telling us to do this, then it's something that you learned at some point from somebody. Yeah. And, you, and it meant enough to you to tell us. Right. Yes. And when I yeah. listen, and the job I have now, I listen to radio stations all over the country. So I hear jocks everywhere, and, and they don't all get that type of tutelage and mentorship even when you have somebody that like some people work for veterans in the game, but they're not all telling their jocks the right things to do. And that's one thing that you did. You taught us the right way to be on radio. So anybody who has worked there can go anywhere else. You know, oh, man. I, 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 I could have gone to That makes another. me feel so great to hear, man. That is so cool of you to say that. It really is. Well, yeah, I, I tell anybody, you know, we're we're all prepared. You know, I don't, there's nothing, there's no part of me that doesn't feel like I can't walk in any radio station and, and be just fine. You yeah. know, I know how to get in and out of breaks and all this stuff. You know, I learned, yes, I yes. learned and I <laughs> paid attention. Good. And not only that, did I hear it from you, I also had a chance to, to sit in with all these other people that you talked about. I was there for 11 yeah. years. You know, I sat in. Yeah. I, was, I was on a morning show. I did nights. I did weekends. You know, I've, yes, I've done you remotes. Did. You know right. what I mean? So I've been all over this. And, and you know, you are a great coach. And that's why so many of the people have gone on to do larger things in media. It's not an accident. You know, it's <laughs> what happens when talent meets tutelage. And don't forget our radio show. Yeah, and 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 yeah, yeah, and I'm sitting here doing a podcast right now. <laughs> and we on the yeah. radio. And we on the well, radio. You know what? Oh yeah, that's right. I do. Yeah, we do radio too. That's right. <laughs> we on the radio right. Now. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah. Cap, that's. I really appreciate that. It's. Uh, you know, it's. I really do. I don't know what to say to that except I really do appreciate that, and and uh, it just knocks me out when somebody says. You know, I'm thinking about which things should I share and which things should I try to impress on somebody. And I'm listening to somebody's uh, show and I'm going, when am I going to hear something that I can react to, you know, that'll, that I can show them, you know, I, when, when somebody's brand new, you'll hear them on the air and man, they're, you know, a lot of times they're petrified and they, you know, you know they're, they're on the radio. Oh no. And, and, uh, or else they just don't know what to do. In other words, they don't know which part of themselves to present on the radio. Somebody might say, just be yourself. And they go, what does that mean? Tell them I'm sick or I feel like I'm going to throw up. No, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> here goes, here goes the second part of that, that meeting. Yeah. The yeah. funniest thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> that meeting about the turkey. Because yeah. um, we had the, the sound bite and the turkey gobble would go. <laughs> so, so Brian, the DL remind you, we're all sitting in here, you know, now radio guys, we're already a bunch of clowns in here. <laughs> right, right. I can only imagine. So Brian comes in and says, hey, guys, how about, how about give the turkey a break? How about give the turkey a break? I mean, I think everybody gets it now. There's a turkey in the room. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But, but, but the, more, the more you hit the button, after a while, the listener just imagines a guy sitting in a room full of turkey shit. Great. Great. <laughs> he said nobody wants to listen to a guy that sits in a room full of turkey shit all day. <laughs> 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 
That old man. I remember that. That was it, you know. So every time I was in there, I'd be in there at night, and Stu would be hitting the ball. Like, hey, man, lay off that turkey, man. <laughs> you know how people think we sit in a room full of turkey shit all night, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. It's, uh, you know, man, it, it's just all such a magical thing to me. Radio, you know, I, I just... I've loved it since I was a little kid and I first got exposed to it. And I went, wow, you know, I just lit up on it immediately. And I thought, what a cool thing, you know, I just loved it. And like I say, it's magical to me. And, and, uh, it's so cool to hear you yeah. <laughs> to hear that you were uh, yeah. taking that, you know, Cap, you were a mixer and you didn't really have to be, like you say, you're on a morning show too. And that's a different thing, but, but, uh, you didn't really have to be paying attention to much of that stuff, but you were listening. You were, you were a guy trying to trying to be better and learn more and be on top of things and and set yourself apart. And that's where it's at. That's that's the people who end up being great. Yeah, my ultimate goal was to be a programmer, but I wanted to be a yeah. programmer in Greensboro. And I said, "Well, Brian's not going anywhere. You had too much gas <laughs> in your tank." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, man, I finally did. I mean, I haven't left the market, but I finally am not doing jams anymore. And that's a strange feeling, I'll tell you. Wow. 31 years. Yeah. Super good. Yeah, well, well, congratulations on 31 years. They were a good 31 years, man. I think, you know, they, you're, you're, really you're a Radio Hall of Famer, Brian. You're Radio Hall of Famer. <laughs> calling it now. Yes. And um, DL had another question for you. So my second yeah. question is um, – Yeah, we had a second question. I forgot about that. (laughs) I I always say um, you can hear the radio edit edited version of a song. And then if you want to hear the real version, you go to Greensboro and listen to it on one or two jails. (laughs) Specifically, I remember the the track by Future. Um, I can't remember the name of the song, but the, the hook was. Molly Percocet. Molly Percocet. Yeah, I did right. not know that track had been out for about a year and a half, two years before I made my way through Greensboro and heard the real version. <laughs> and I thought that it was something that was made up on 102 Gems because, like he said, so many characters on the radio. I thought yeah. that it was something that y'all did to be funny. And then I had to look <sighs> it up on the internet to find out this was the real song. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I remember when Trina's song came, I can't remember the name of that song either, but she said, her pussy's so good, it's like the sunshine. And the only part of that statement that she didn't say <laughs> on 102 Channels was the P word. Yeah, and I always wondered because of that 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 part about you having radio edits and then you had the 102 jams version of yeah. songs. How like what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a great question. Uh you know, I think well, I just I'll answer it like this. I think as a program director, uh you are, and look, sometimes the program director's got an attitude, but the general manager or the owners have a different attitude. Okay. But somewhere along the line, the program director on up, somebody 
has a chance to play that radio edit just the way it comes down from the record company. And a lot of those record companies are sitting there going, no, don't send it out like that. So, so-and-so station won't play it. And no, don't send that out. So-and-so station won't play it, that kind of thing. Okay. And so that radio edit is often sent out conservative uh, by the listener's standards to the point that it's way past what's legal. Right. or what's not legal, and it's way even past sometimes what's in good taste or whatever. They just edit it the way they think they should to get the most stations to play it. Mm-hmm. And our attitude was always, is there any reason we can't have that word in there? Molly Percocet, why can't that be in there? And and uh, I remember, like, back that ass up. There was a version, back that right. thing up, and, and a lot of people played that. And you said... Uh, what you said about Katrina and all, there was another of hers that had the same kind of edit. But Mm -hmm. if, if we didn't see legally that there was a problem with it, or we didn't see a, if our listeners were going to be offended, then that was a different thing. I remember the ITCH from Queen Latifah came out and (laughs) I talked to everybody in the station. I said, what do y'all think? And, uh, there was the general consensus was we better be careful. Women be offended by that. And so, I tried first off playing it with, I forget how it was edited, but it didn't, it didn't say it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we tried it and sort of against maybe what I might've thought was the right idea, but we, we tried it and right away women called up and said, how dare you take that out? Do you realize what the point of that song is? All right. All right. We put the real, (laughs) we put the real one on there in about five seconds. And you know, it's just a matter of, again, what's legal. What is the audience want within the context of what's legal and what the audience is comfortable with. That's all we're answering to. We're not trying to answer to the 45 year olds who, think these kids these days are all you know we're not answering to them <laughs> not we're at not. all hey bro yeah. hey now dl yeah. i'm gonna tell you about a, a period of time i brought this record now brian i don't know if you know this but i brought this record to greensboro personally i can yell it put it in your mouth, oh, wow. put it in your mouth. i brought oh. a box i drove to charlotte and got a box full of those records and brought them to Greensboro, gave them to every DJ personally. Oh, wow. And that is a song right there that, that we played on the air, and it, yes. it turned into a major hit, DL. Absolutely. But nobody yes, else it would did. touch it. Yeah. Right. Right. Nobody else right. would touch it. Did you put it. that on a mixtape? I had it on a mixtape, too. I think that was the first time I heard it was on your mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, actually, I actually got that record from K-Nice when he was on the radio in Charlotte. And a dude from um, one of Akinelli's friends yeah. sent, it, yeah. sent a box of them to K-Nice. And yeah. and I went down there because I, I was like, man, I got to get. I got in my car and drove to Charlotte. This is back in the day, Brian. I would drive to other states to get records. I used to drive to Atlanta wow. sometimes just so I'd be wow. like, I brought, I brought Ludacris, What's Your Fantasy back. Like, I literally went to the Chili Pepper in Atlanta, met with Shaka Zulu. And here goes the story, Brian. He happened to be there meeting with Scarface to get his Def Jam South deal. 
Wow. And I wow. talked I got the what's your fantasy record from Shaka Zulu and brought it back to North Carolina. Wow. Look, let's That's go a back. hell of a story, man. Yep. Let's go back to put it in. Yeah, let's go what back to put it in your mouth. Yeah, put it in your mouth was nineteen ninety seven, I believe. I got suspended about for right. three days because I would play <laughs> this in open air. In, in in class. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you know the funny thing about that, I was teaching school during that time. And you know, the other thing, we played the song by Junior Mafia called We Don't Need It. Yes. Yeah. And that was just it was actually worse than putting it in your mouth. Because putting it in your mouth right. was clever. Junior Mafia's yeah. version was just pure raunch. Right. And uh, <laughs> that's why I've never version went further. <laughs> right, right. right. And um and the kids in class would start singing that and I just had to shut it down. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I would I would bribe them with Wu Tang samplers. Yeah, that's good. So Brian, that's when I good. when I ask you about playing those uh, radio edits and your well, one oh two's version, I honestly thought you were just gonna say because you were trying to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, the truth is that is the bottom line. Yeah. I was trying to win. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, What's the question? How do you win? If the audience is into what you're doing, you can win. If you right. do something that's illegal, you're going to lose. Right. So it's what the audiences want right up until the point it's not legal. And uh, that's it. We're not answered to the 50-year-olds. We're not answering to anybody else. We're not answered to people who are, you know, maybe white people who are who don't like something in a particular record or, or – uh, or just older people that don't like it or whatever, you know, it's, man, this radio station is for 18 to 24 year old African-Americans. If they're into this, this is what we're going to do. Right. Right. Right on. It's dope, man. Yeah. I told you this yeah. was going to be a good one, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was excited. He made me excited about it. Yeah, well, I, went, cool. I went back to the '90s and stopped and got a bottle of Bacardi Limon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I had to go back to the uh, '90s with this one. Hey, hey, Brian, yeah. I want to, I want you know, since we, I know we're getting ready to shut it down. I'm going to set a timer, man. I just want to get quick thoughts, quick thoughts. I'm going to set a one minute timer, and I want to get your quick thoughts on some things that that one or two jams introduced to the area that now are staples. Okay. I like this. Yeah. All right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is Capital City with Capital J. All right. First, <laughs> Super Jam concerts and huge radio stations events. This is a yeah. thing that did not exist before, you know, I remember we did Buster Brown Bingo. And before That's that, right. I don't remember a huge radio station concert happening in North Carolina to, of that magnitude that brought all the up-and-coming hip-hop stars. The next year, it was Super Jam. Yeah, just tell me about Super Jam and how that came about. When seconds. I was growing up, yeah, when I was growing up, there was a station in Florida called Big Ape that I listened to. Big Ape, which is a weird name for a station back at that time. And they did concerts like that and I always thought, if I'm ever a program director, I'm going to try to do that. So like you say, Buster Brown Bingo came along, big contest, $10,000. He jumps out of a plane, he lands on a square, somebody gets the money. Well, there's 102 squares. We're going to probably end up with 102 people there. So we brought in a few groups. We brought in Junior Mafia. We brought in just Mohammed I think. And 112. Somebody, 112, that's right. And it was a huge success. 
And I thought, oh, no, we got to go next level. So the next year, we had partnered up with a group that helped to uh, put together these things. They could help us get better deals on them. And, uh, and that was the first Super Jam. All right. Well, that was six seconds exactly. All right. Okay. Well, all right. Now, DL talked about how, how you know, you have a non-syndicated morning show. A lot of markets are getting away from that. Your thoughts on the overnight position? Yes. I think there is no time on a radio station that's not important. I think overnights is a time you can let the station breathe more than it normally would. And if you put somebody out there who can kind of really hang with the audience when a lot of people are by themselves or working a third shift or maybe just coming out of a bar or whatever, driving home, that's a time when I think you can bond at a different level. If you're in Los Angeles and you got nobody on overnights, there are more people listening there than are listening in Raleigh in in mornings. And so why wouldn't you have somebody in Greensboro? A lot more people that are listening in Savannah, I would imagine, overnights. I think overnights is a big deal. Right on, right on. Now, the night that Tupac died, I was on the mm-hmm. air that night. And you called me before I went on the air. <clears throat> you said, Tupac just passed away. And I remember you specifically said, I thought he was going to make it through this time. Wow. Your thoughts on everything that's happened. Like, we've lost so many people in hip-hop since then. And before Tupac, it wasn't a regular occurrence. And since then, it's like, you know, you kind of got to get used to this. It's yeah. hip-hop. Is rapper or hip hop artist the most dangerous profession in the world? That's a heavy question. That's uh, I was reading. I'm reading Clive Davis's autobiography. He was Arista Records. He's the guy who handled Babyface and LaFace yeah, when they uh, when they put that together. Yeah, all that. He uh, he signed Bad Boy to his label and all that. And uh, he's talking about some of the stuff that went on with that man. All I can really say on that is the answer is it's, it can certainly be dangerous. I wish everybody would look at it from, in a sense, from the eyes they'll have later on and realize, you know, man, this is about entertainment. And talented people, you know, for pop smoke in today's world to be gone or something, that's just a tragedy. You know, these people are, they really mean something to their fans. They are people who work to make this happen. And it's just a tragedy when something like that happens. That's not exactly answering your question, but that's the way I feel about it. All right. All right. And a lot of artists have come through. Who was your favorite? I mean, you know, who do you feel was really genuine and somebody that you just genuinely liked? Yeah. Well, you know, for a long time, I really, uh, I, I really think Biggie is probably the answer. Uh, too bad that he's not still around, so we could see how that would have played out over time. Uh, Tupac, man, man, I mean, this guy—you re- read interviews with him uh, and that kind of thing—and you realize this man, he's, you know, he's deep. He's he's thinking about things. If those two are great, I love Snoop. I love Biggie. Uh, I love Tupac. I think that was a golden age right then when we were just getting the greatest music coming out and the the freshness of hip-hop being at that level was still in the air. It was a great, great time. Too bad, as you say, it was it was touched by what Biggie dying, Tupac dying, and so forth. But but uh, right about there was, I think, in terms of, 
of talent and just having the whole package together was the great greatest producer, Dre. Uh. The, the sound of those records, man. The bass was so sweet on those things. I loved them. Up oh, there goes there goes the minute. Yeah. Oh man. I always <laughs> say, you know, we we talked engineering on this show before, and I always say, man, that Dr. Dre had the, the most crisp production I've ever heard, yeah. especially you yeah. know in the early days of hip hop. It was it had that Los Angeles shine on it. You know, yeah. New York hip hop still sounded gritty, but but. That's right. Los Angeles hip hop had Hollywood on it, you know. Yeah, it was sweet. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and lastly, your favorite hit out of all this time, what's the favorite song or the song that's meant the most to you in this whole run? Man, I don't know what to tell you on that one. I <laughs> mentioned we talked about Flavor Year. I love that, and I know you and I had talked recently, and you had mentioned. Uh, they reminisce over you, and and uh, oh, those yeah. are great songs. Those are great songs. I'll tell you a song I really like that I wouldn't say is a favorite. You remember So, uh, so You Like What You See by Samuel? Yes, that was my freshman year in college. Oh, man, I love that, too. That was 1990. That was when you first got yeah. here, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's yes. a, that's, a, that's a nicely produced record, too, you know? Right, that just, that's that Los that Angeles sound. You know, he was They're the lead just, singer of the Time X Social Club for a while. Wow. Yeah. No, I didn't. I don't think I knew that at all. If I did, I forgot it. Yeah, they, they had one guy, um, and then that guy left, and then Samuel was the lead singer for a while, and then he left and went solo. Yeah, yeah. I like Gin and Juice a lot, too. That's another good one to mention. Oh, I remember when 102 first got that, and you had the, the, yeah. the tape copy, and you had to wait for the – for the real copy to come, but you're the, y'all were the only right. people that had it though. And it, oh yeah, yeah, That's I remember right. all that stuff. Yep, yeah. I remember moving from from Spring Garden Street to to out there by the airport, and you did the jam yeah. thing again with the uh, yeah. old jam. Yep. Yes, yeah, that was uh, yeah, those were good times, you know. Yep, we're gonna we're gonna definitely have to pick this up another time, man. Cause, you know, I don't know I don't know if we covered everything, but what we're gonna do is we'll release a full version, probably, and an edited version, so we can have a one hour listen, and then we can have the full one. I think we did that with another, right? Another guest too, man. This has been awesome, Brian. We really appreciate you coming through, man. Well, I really appreciate you guys inviting me to do it. Really do very much. I have a question that's outside of the one minute mark. Okay. So how was our show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is great. This is it, you know? Okay. I love it. All yeah. Right. I, can't, I, I can't wait to check it all out when it comes down. Oh, why did I say that? You know? Hey, we, we have a we have one, a couple of episodes that have done pretty well. I think you're going to like them. One is about, it's called Falling Off. <laughs> how long, yeah. you know, we just discuss artists rising and falling. And yeah. the other one is The World's Most Dangerous Profession. And oh, it's, yeah, yeah, we talk about you know why is it so dangerous to yeah. be you know it's 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 so dangerous for guys before they make enough money to really separate themselves from yes. from the streets and yes. and it's it's bad. So those yeah. are our two best episodes. So I make sure that you get get the links for those. I'd I'd be into that very much. Okay, well we appreciate you, Brian, and we're gonna talk guys, again, man. I'm sure something's yeah. gonna happen that's gonna you know. We're going to need to yeah. talk with you about. Well, I very much appreciate it. And all the best to both of you as, as you keep rolling. And I appreciate you doing this a lot. 
Hey, we appreciate you coming on, man. And, Y'all take care. And you're, you're always coach. <laughs> okay. Okay. Have a good night, guys. All right. You too. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. Brian. Bye. This is Capital City with Capital J.